I didn't know I was going to talk about the Velveteen Rabbit until about 12.30 last night. And all of a sudden, something just got a hold of me and said, go downstairs and look into your kid's cabinet and uh, get the Velveteen Rabbit. Because what I want to talk about is love, and it seems to me that the story of the Velveteen Rabbit says an awful lot that's profound and true about love, about the nature of love, and what it's all about. We are real to the extent that we love, and we all want to be real. There's something inside of us in our heart of hearts, I believe, that tells us that we know, we just know intuitively, that it's only to the degree that we love and are loved that uh, life's really worth living, that we really are what we were created to be. And love means that you're going to skin your nose, your fur's going to wear off, your hair's going to wear off. Well, that's going to happen anyways, but it means that you're going to suffer a little bit, and the story's not telling the truth when it says being real means you don't care about getting hurt. You do care about getting hurt, and that's what sometimes leads us to not want to be real, to not want to love. It's safer not to. Better to be a stuffed animal. No one will ever hurt you if you're a stuffed animal. But when all is said and done, being real is the only option. And being real entails receiving love and giving love. The Lord's been doing something really weird with me lately um, on this whole thing. I've been feeling, for the last six weeks, those who I, I hang around with know this about me. My wife really knows this about me. Um, but I, last six weeks, I have been honestly averaging three or four hours of sleep, of sleep a night. Uh, and I'm not normally an eight-hour-a-night sleeper anyways, but I'm usually more than three or four hours. But it's not because I'm nervous or anxious or depressed or all the ordinary reasons that you have for staying awake. It's, it's something other than that, and I'm not sure what it is. <laughs> um, but I'm not tired. I don't mind it. I, I for, for a while, fought it, and I kept on thinking, oh, I'm going to be tired if I don't get more sleep. But then I discovered that I'm not. I take a little cat naps during the day, but... On the whole, I feel like I got a lot of energy. Some people might say too much energy. But it has something to do with this. I have felt, for whatever reasons, I don't know, but felt in the last six weeks, and this is what made me think about the Velveteen Rabbit, just felt this unusual sense of love, an unusual sense of being loved. I've just been aware, I, all through the day, aware of God's love towards me. And I'm not saying that there's nothing else on my mind, but I've just been aware of that dimension more consistently than usual, that I am loved. And it's not because I'm being better than I used to be or doing better things or what have you. That's not what God's love is like. God's love is not a carrot at the end of a stick that you've got to chase, and if you get it, then he'll love you. It's just there because God is love, and I've been aware of that. And it feeds you, and it fills you, and it makes life feel more real. And the more real God's love is to you, the more real your love is, and it flows out of you towards others. And I've been finding myself doing this. Sometimes when I'm here, up here speaking to you guys, and I feel it right now, I just feel this love. It's like I really, I really want to make a difference in your lives. I, there's so, you're so infinitely valuable, and I just see that, and, and, and so cherished by God, and I just see that. And my, you get this thing in your heart, I just love these people, you want to hug them all, and even at school with my students, not even at school, like, this is how incredible this is, but I, in my classes with the students, been feeling this, this a love, this care, concern for them. And uh, driving down the street, there's this little kid fixing his bike, you know, and, and he apparently fell over and he, he, his handlebars were crooked. And this isn't normally like me. I'm not normally this kind of sensitive type of guy, 
I think I'm loving, but here I, my heart goes out to this kid, and I send up a little prayer for him. Lord bless that kid. I could just sense his future and the potential there, and how much infinite worth this kid has. And when you love, when you're filled with God's love, and I don't know if this is going to be a continual state of being for me, uh, or, you know, usually my life's kind of like this, so I can't imagine it going on, but I'm not going to try to defeat it with negative thoughts, so I'm just going to ride with it. But the reds are redder, and the greens are greener, and the air is fresher, and the fragrances are more aromatic, and you breathe more deeply, and there's a skip in your step, and maybe, maybe you just don't need as much sleep, I don't know. But you know, you know what you maybe knew in your head all the time, but now it begins to be more real to you, because you're more real, that this is what it's all about. Love. When all is said and done, it's about love and really, really nothing else. As the scripture portrays it, it's very much like the Velveteen Rabbit story. God, what is real about God is that God is love. It's not just that God loves, like a verb, God does love, but God is love. That's his being, that's his innermost essence, that's who he is. He is by nature love. And we get a little snapshot of this in, in the Bible when Jesus says that the Father has loved him from before the foundation of the world. Something like the love between the Father and the Son. That is God. God is love. The intensity of that passion, the intensity of their self-surrender between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that is the nature of God. God is love throughout eternity. God is infinite, unsurpassable love. That's who God is. And it's out of that love that God creates the world. Very much like the love between a man and a wife brings forth a child, it creates, so also God's love creates. And, and, and as the scripture suggested, and as theologians like Jonathan Edwards have said, the world is in some ways an expression of the Father's love for the Son, and the Son's love for the Father. It's the bride for the Son. It flows out of God's love. It is there because of God's love, not because of what the creation can do for God. God didn't create because he was lonely. He was content within himself, but he overflowed unilaterally to give love, to express love to this world and the reason for existence is love. The purpose for existence is love. The goal of existence is love. The substance of existence is love. What it all comes down to, what it all boils down to, when all is said and done, is love. The reason why we exist is love. And we are real. We are real as God wants us to be real to the extent that we are yielded to love. And to the extent that we are not, we are really, li really living a life of unreality. We know it intuitively that the only way towards fulfillment and the only way towards real joy and the only way towards being real the way God wants us to be real is by loving. It's by loving. And really nothing else. The purpose for the whole thing is love. The whole law is summed up in love. And you can have the gift of prophecy and the gift of tongues and every other spiritual gift you can name, Paul says, but if you don't have love, it's utterly worthless. And you can have all the good deeds in the world. Think about it, all the good deeds. You can be a veritable Mother Teresa and you can be given your body to be burned, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, and you can have all the right doctrine in the world. You can have, win every argument you ever get involved in. You can just be as smart as all get out, but if you don't have love, it's utterly worthless. It's a clanging symbol. It's got no rhyme or reason to it. Love is the sine qua non of life itself. Here's the thing. In saying that, I think, that is, I think what I just said there is the most profound thing the Bible has to say to us. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. That's it right there. And yet in saying that, in saying that, it sounds trivial almost. At least that's how it sounds to me and maybe to some of you. 
I thought, I feel like some kind of San Francisco flower child. You know, singing the Beatles, all you need is love, love, love is all you need. I feel like I should be throwing flowers. Love, God is love. God is love. Let's get mushy-gushy feeling-y kind of, you know, with one another. I can't even say the word love without thinking of the prince's bride. You know, it's... True love. True love and marriage. Love. This is love. Why didn't I do love? If you didn't see the movie, you're wondering why I'm acting like such an idiot. But the guy in the movie says that. True love. It feels trite. It seems insignificant. And here's why. Because there is no word that is more abused than love. Not just in the English language, but on the planet. There is no word that is more abused than, than, than the word love. And the reason for that is pretty clear, because Satan would invest as much energy as possible to distort, to cloud up, to twist, to turn upside down the center. And what the center is, is love. The word perversion in English comes from the Latin perversio, which means to turn upside down, to twist. And what the enemy tries to get us to believe is that real love is in fact perverse love, and perverse love is in fact real love. And our culture feeds on this. You just have to listen to the music of the culture to understand what it thinks about love. Now, I'm over 35, and therefore I can't understand the music of our culture anymore, and that's a true thing. I, I thought my parents were kidding when they said, I can't, all your lyrics sound alike. And now I'm saying that to my kids. KDWB, every song sounds alike. And so I don't know any contemporary songs that have the word love in them, but I'm sure that if they do, they abuse it. Well, I am. <laughs> well, they, they, I, I know this song. Uh, um, how's it go? I'll make love to you when you want me to, and I'll hold you tight, baby, all through the night. And, that's the only one I know. It's the only one. And even that, think about that. Is that true love? You know, she says, now. And you're, okay, there I am. I, when you want me to, I'm here. It doesn't, it doesn't work like that. That's unreality. <laughs> Not real. <laughs> Not going to happen. <laughs> you engage people, don't plan on that. But hey, okay, you know, uh, for those of you in the 30 and over crowd who don't go to KWB, we listen to KQ. Uh, yeah, it was no different back then. I mean, in some ways, maybe even more ridiculous. Think of, uh, think of the songs of, of the bygone era when you could still understand the lyrics. Uh, you know, hello, I love you. Won't you tell me your name? Jim Morrison. Hello, boom, boom, I love you. What does that say about love? Yummy, 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 I got love in my tummy, the Ohio Express. Uh, man. That's supposed to cheer for that. That's, that's wrong love. That's not the real love. Uh, but I, the songs are all about, most, most people know that love's the reason for existing, and so they sing about love, but the kind of love that they think they got is a distorted, perverse kind of love. It's about getting something. You know, what have you done for me lately, Janet Jackson says. It's about getting something. What can you do for me? Lovers come along, they're a dime a dozen, but I ain't nothing but good, good love. And hey, pretty mama, let me light your candle, because I'm, I'm, I'm a show how to handle now. Yes, around. <laughs> Woo! Hey. Okay. And you got the point. I'm good, good loving. It's about a performance. It's about sexual gratification more often than anything else. 
I love you because of what you do for me. I love you because of the feeling that you give me. The word making love gets reduced to a biological thing, and it's about how you can make that happen in my life. That's what the word love comes to mean. It's about getting something. I love you because you laugh at my jokes, because you're so pretty to look at, because you make me feel so good. You make me feel like a man in the morning, or what have you. You just got to know that what the Bible means by love is utterly, 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 utterly different than that. It's the opposite of that. You get it in this text that we're talking on this morning. Ephesians chapter 5. This is the love that makes you real. That kind of love leads out of reality and it leads into destruction and pain. I'll say more about that shortly. But real love makes you real. And as the Bible portrays it in Ephesians 1, 5, 5 verse 1, it tells us to imitate God and God is love. And so what we're to imitate is the way God is love. What defines love? What defines love is not has nothing to do with a feeling. has nothing to do with a turn-on. has nothing to do with an adrenaline charge or a surge of hormones. What defines love is God because God is love. And God reveals himself to us in this deed that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we didn't deserve it, he died for us. When we wanted nothing else to be than, than to run away from God, He died for us. God, who is all glorious, who's got all the glory, all the joy, all the bliss in, in heaven, all the power in heaven, all the rights in heaven, He gives up every ounce of it for us. And who are we? We are creatures who at that time want nothing more than to say, get out of our face. We want to be God. We want to go the other way. We were, the Bible says, at war with God. Jesus dies for us. That is love. It's not about getting something. It's about giving something. It's not about finding your life in another. It's about giving your life away. And the irony in the gospel is, and, and, and this is something that no, regenerate, no unregenerate heart, no unsaved heart can ever understand. You've got to get saved to understand that, but the minute you get saved, you'll begin to understand it. The Bible says this, that when you lay down your life for another and quit trying to find it in another... When you crucify yourself for another instead of trying to crucify others for you, then you find your life. When you lose your life, Jesus says, you find it. And when you crucify yourself, it's given back to you. And when you pour out your life, you get filled with life. And the paradox of the whole thing is, is that you find reality. You become a full person. You become a full being and you discover full fulfillment when you quit trying to do it by feeding yourself on others, by trying to make other people the carbon copy of what you think they should be, by trying to get them to feed your worth and them to feed your ego, but rather lay down your life for others. When you begin to imitate God, you find that God's life is in you and life begins to become real for you. You begin to see colors different. You begin to see people different. And there's joy, and there's peace, and there's fulfillment, and there is no other way of doing it. When you lose your life, you find it. The carnal self says, that is suicide. But the spiritual mind knows intuitively, though we don't always do it, maybe we don't even usually do it, but it's true that when we lay down our life and love others, you find the fulfillment. And the more you give away, the more of you there is to give away, but it's a choice you've got to make. And it's a choice you've got to make daily. There is no way that God could have pre-programmed us to love. It has to be chosen, and it always involves sacrifice. That's why it has to be chosen. It's a surrendering to another, and it always involves sacrifice. And you can choose not to do it. 
Because God can't coerce you into doing it. And the choice comes down to this. It's the choice that Lucifer had to make. All the angels made. It's the choice that we have to make. Are you going to live for love, which is the reason for being, or are you going to live for self? Are you going to live to feed yourself, or are you going to live to give your life away to others? What is it going to be? Are you going to make yourself the center of the universe? Or is God going to be the center of your universe, which means love is the center of your universe and everything rotates around that? What's it going to be? Are you going to use the world and see people as opportunities to feed yourself? And no one sits down and thinks that they're doing this. They don't say, oh, I'm going to now use people for my own ends. But we do it instinctively because we're empty on the inside and we've got to feed ourselves. And if God in his love is not feeding us, we've got to use other people to feed us. So we, we, we look at life and instead of seeing all people as opportunities to love, opportunities to make a difference, opportunities to, to give life away, opportunities to ascribe worth to others instead of finding it, instead of that, what we get is seeing the world as a feeding ground, a feeding frenzy for our impoverished soul that just is hungry for love. And we try to get people to, to t- say to us what we want to hear and treat us the way we want to be treated and do for us what we want them to do. And that is not love. It's not love when it happens in a marriage. It's not love when it happens in a church. Some marriages, it's just sort of agreed that one is the giver and the other is the taker. Taken. And we call that submitting sometimes. Oh, well, her job is to submit. And so now her job is to just become whatever he thinks she should be. And we call that love. But that is not love. That is not love. That is perversio love. That's upside down love. When one person's feeding off of another, that is not genuine love. It's not Christ-like love. When it's not a, when it's not a voluntary mutual submission, that is not love. And when it happens in church, it's not love. Sometimes in churches you get these weird, dysfunctional kind of situations where the congregation thinks it's their job to make the pastors happy. When in fact, Scripture says that the shepherd's job is to lay down their life for other people. To exemplify something of Christ's loving nature by laying down and serving others and not being served. But so often happens that that does not happen. Sometimes it happens with kids. The job of parents is to love their kids, to ascribe worth to their kids, so their kids will know something about what their value is. But sometimes it happens, maybe frequently it happens, that the kids become the way that the parents get okay. And then you got perverse things happening on ball fields where kids get spanked for striking out because the parent's embarrassed. That's perverse love. If you love me, you'd do it differently. If you love me, you'd look different. If you love me, you'd talk different. If you love me, if, 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 if. That is not love. That's perversio love. But it's the only kind of love our culture understands. It's about feeding off of others. It's about manipulating others. It's about using other people to your own ends. Now, in Ephesians 5, Paul tells us to be imitators of God, which is to say, replicate His love. We are to replicate His love, Christ's self-sacrificial love in all that we do. That's our life ambition. It's really, it sums up everything that we're about. But now Paul helps us to achieve that by putting up some flags about how not to do that. Some of the most common ways, some of the most common flags or tags that we can use to look at to see if in fact we're going in the right direction. If love is, if God is love, biblically defined, And love is the end of all things, the goal of all things, so that when all is said and done, the one thing that's going to remain is love. If that's true, then sin can be defined as what goes against love. 
And I believe that's exactly how the Bible defines sin. Sin is what goes against love. And so Paul lays out for us in Ephesians 5, 2 through 8, some sins. I want to talk about those. This morning, I'm ex- it comes out in three classes. The first category is sex. In fact, really the first and second categories deal with sex. And that's not surprising. Sexual immorality is, for Paul, the first thing that comes to mind when you think about non-loving ways of relating to people. Unloving ways of relating to people. And here's why. Because, and we, we preached on this a little bit this summer, sex is one of God's greatest ideas. And it was given to us as a beautiful, wonderful, godly, enjoyable, ecstatic thing that two people are to enjoy together, and it's great. And it is to be one of the chief, maybe the chief expression of love in God's creation. If love is the goal in God's original design, now in a fallen world there's other variables here, but in God's original design, marriage, marriage, gosh, get that movie out of my head. Marriage is, 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 is the chief expression of love, and sex in marriage, the ultimate union of two people, replicates something of God's own ecstatic self-surrender. And so it's not surprising that that's the thing that the enemy goes after, maybe more than anything else. To pervert the meaning of love is to pervert the meaning of sex. And what we have today is a perverse society, which does not understand love and therefore does not understand sex. And it's not just our society, but society, almost all societies in bygone ages, this was one of the big issues. So Paul brings it up. Paul brings it up. He mentions... Two words here under the category of perverse sexuality or perverse love. Love gone astray. The first term is sexual immorality. Sexual immorality. The Greek word is porneia. I tell you that because porneia is the word we get the word pornography from. Pornography actually comes from two words. Porno, which is is sexual immorality, and graphe, which is the Greek word for writing. So pornography means immoral writing. That's what pornography is, immoral writing. And, of course, it can also be immoral viewing and, and all, or whatever. But it deals with whatever, is, whatever sexuality is outside of the jurisdiction, as it were, that God made sexuality for. Now, how does this go against love? What's wrong about sexual immorality, Paul says, is that it's, it contrasts. Throughout this, the rest of this section here, Paul is contrasting this sin with walking in love, Christ-like love. How does pornography contrast with genuine love? Well, think about it. In pornography, what goes on there is that you take a human being and you dehumanize them. You treat them not as a human being. There's no relationship here There's no commitment here. You're not involved in their life. You're not taking any responsibility for their life. You're not laying down your life for them. They are there in the most extreme sense of the word for your own gratification. Nameless, faceless, personalityless objects. Pieces of meat on a page, if you will. That's what pornography essentially comes to. And that, Paul is saying, is the opposite, the direct opposite of what love is about. Love in our culture, and maybe in many other cultures, is defined pornographically. We meet in a bar, we make love. That's a perverse meaning of the word love, and what you're doing is, by biblical standards, perverse. You're using sexuality, and you're calling it love in ways that are directly opposite of everything the Bible means by that. Faceless, nameless, commitmentless self-gratification. And our culture is steeped in it, and it's evil, it is destructive, The enemy uses it 
on the minds of people, I believe especially men, to decay them, to implant thoughts on them that, that are very hard to get rid of. I believe that when kids, when it, I, I can't speak for women, but when, when young boys get exposed to pornography, it is a form of sexual abuse because your eyes see things that your eyes should never see. And, and, and your mind has things seared into it and messages seared into it like women are objects for you that ought never to be there. And we live in a culture that sells sex and it does it por- pornographically. Just ask Kelvin Klein. And it's on the billboards and wherever you look, sex sells and so we use it and so it's always treated as objects. There are people who try to argue that there's no relationship between pornography and rape. Paul's saying that that is the, that is the opposite of God's love. That's the opposite. And those of us, and I, you know, my first couple of years as a Christian, I struggled with that because before I was a Christian, I had it all the time. And I know the power that that can have in your mind. I want to take a little pastoral moment here as an aside to say to you, you men here, uh, and maybe there's women who, who I don't know, I don't, I, I don't think like a woman. <laughs> That's probably good. But, um, <laughs> but you know, if, if this is a hook for you, you need two things. You need, to, you need to open yourself up to God's love to be free to this. Let God love you in the midst of this and bring forgiveness and healing from it. And the other thing is, you know, see how beautiful Jesus Christ is. And the other thing is, and I'm talking to somebody here, see how wicked pornography is. When, the way I got freed from this my own life was God just, I, I had an experience of God where I saw Jesus Christ in all of his unconditional love because that's what makes us real and that's what gives us real power over sin. I saw the love of Christ in the midst of my problem, in the midst of my addiction, that, that, that my holiness wasn't the, the, the condition of God's love for me. God's love for me was the condition of my holiness. I saw the beauty of Jesus Christ, so I wanted to live for him. And I saw a second thing. I, the Lord gave me a picture of pornography which was so vile and ugly, these penthouse centerfolds swimming in manure. And it was detestable. He, he let me see what, how God views this. The enemy says, isn't this beautiful? Isn't this good? Isn't this delightful? Isn't this where life is at? Whereas a matter of fact, this is death. And we need to see it as death. Picture a rotting corpse when you picture pornography. And now you see how God sees it. And he let me understand, and maybe this is a word to some people here who are into pornography, I, I, and, and as long as the enemy has that message there, it's addictive, but if you can just see it as God sees it, it breaks the stronghold, where you begin to see that this is, when you participate in it, when you sell yourself out to this, when you buy a penthouse or, or Playboy or what have you, when you give yourself over to this, you are saying yes to a kingdom. You're saying yes to an enterprise. You are casting your vote for a whole demonic empire here. It's the same empire that really gets off on destroying people and in fact is destroying people in this very activity. It's the whole empire that really is behind in one way or another, directly or indirectly, the the kidnapping of little kids, the raping of little kids, the mutilation of murder of little kids, and they laugh while they're doing it. And when we participate in that, we're saying, that's what I believe in, that's what I'm for. We've got to see the big picture. You've got to see it in all of its vileness and see the Lord in all of his beauty and it breaks the stronghold. You cannot see it for what it really is and have a regenerate heart and continue on in it. It breaks it. It breaks it. But our culture feeds on that. So Paul says that is the opposite of love. You can call that making love, but that is a satanic definition of the word love. Well, maybe you're here this morning and you're saying, well, 
You know, I, I, I'm involved in a relationship that maybe, you know, I know it's kind of immoral, but, but I'm not like that. Oh, I'm not vile. I, I, I would never look at that stuff. I would never view that. I don't even think like that. I, I, I'm just in love, and my, and, and my fiancé's in love with me, or my, my girlfriend's in love with me, or my boyfriend's in love with me, and we're committed. We're not married. You know, we're not that committed, but we're, we, you know, we're certainly monogamous. We, you know, we don't cheat on each other. And, and isn't that you know, okay? And and, and porneia, well, what is sexual immorality anyways? I mean, these things are hard to define, you know, and, and, and who really knows um, these baffling questions? And, and I've had people actually, they say they believe this. They have oral sex with one another, and they think, well, are we really being immoral because we didn't have, you know, intercourse? So how do you define this? And again, we talked about this a little bit this summer, but I want to review it because it's very, very important. Because the enemy loves to fog up things. To prevent this very problem, Paul does two things in this text. And he makes it very easy for us. Very easy for us. Easy to understand. Maybe not easy to do. We need God's help in doing it. He does two things. Number one, he uses a second word here. Porneia, okay, you want to quibble about that one. Most of us know what it means internally anyways. But he uses another word, which means impurity. So Paul says, don't let there be any kind of sexual immorality or impurity. Now that word impurity in Greek literally means defilement. And it is a much tighter word, if you will, than impurity. In the Old Testament, you could be defiled for drinking out of a wrong glass. I mean, anything that could possibly come between you and God, that is defilement. So Paul here says, don't involved in any sexual immorality or even defilement. And then he does a second thing. He says this. Don't let there be any hint of sexual immorality or any kind of defilement. Any hint of it. And what he's saying there is, is, is close. Is, is, is very clear. Don't see how close to it you can get without falling off the edge. Don't, don't like, you know, how we, well, you know, first base, is that okay? What about second base? You know, quit playing that game. Paul says, don't even get involved in that game. How far is too far? Well, don't ask that question. If you're in a position where you've got to ask that question, you're probably gone too far. Knock it off. Not only don't see how close to porneo you can get, but don't see how close to even defilement you can get. Rather have this attitude. Ask the question, how godly can we get? How glorifying to God can we get? It's like this. There's a lot of things in the Christian life that are ambiguous, okay? They really are. And, 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 and that's what we've got to cut each other a lot of slack. A lot of slack. Uh, there's a lot of gray areas. The, the Bible's not some kind of legalistic textbook that some preacher should use to try to legislate everything you ever do. And I've had them use that on me, and I don't like it a, a bit, and so I'll never do that on you. There's a lot of gray area. You know, should you go this movie or that movie? You, know, let's do, you can get all those kind of squabbles. Should you drink or not drink? And how much, how much drinking is too much drinking? And when are you technically drunk? You know, I, I, that's one of these, like, how close can I get deals. And the funny thing is, is the more you drink, the, the farther out that line gets. Well, I'm not there yet. <laughs> the line keeps on moving. <laughs> yeah, don't get involved in the game. On other kinds of issues, when does enjoying food get involved, become gluttony? And is, is gluttony worse than smoking? And if it is, or is smoking worse than gluttony? And why do we always preach on smoking, but we never preach on gluttony? You know, a lot of churches do that. And all these kind of things. And the basic approach we need to have in a Christian life, I believe, is to preach what the Bible preaches, preach the principles of Scripture, and ask the Spirit of God to move in people's lives to apply them. And we're all at different stages, so it's all going to land a little bit different. There's a lot of ambiguity there, and I'm okay with that. But on this issue, on this issue, it's not at all like that. 
There's not a lot of room for subjective interpretation here because God went out of his way to take that problem away from us. He says, yeah, you know, grow up in dealing with these other issues. But on this issue, it's like the Lord is saying, I want to walk over here, you know that, but there's no lights. The lights are all, can you see me if I walk over here? I, I feel unfair. It's like, you know, I want to talk to you guys too, but I'm always over there. That's where the lights are. We got it. Lord, heal these lights and Jesus. <laughs> What was I talking about? What was I talking about? Just now. Uh, this is ADD. I, I always get that. Okay. Uh, 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 what was I talking about? What was my last point? What was I talking? Gladney. Okay, that's right. On this issue, thank you. On this issue, I got to go back in the light. I can think better over here. On this issue, it's like the Lord was saying this. Oh, thanks for reminding me. I out. I forgot. This is the this is the best point. Listen to this. God is saying, this thing that I have made, this sex business, is one of my greatest ideas. This is brilliant. I didn't even get any angel help in doing it. This is what will cement society together. This is going to be the key to most people's personal well-being. It's going to be the best way that two people can share love with one another. It'll express something about my eternal Godhead. This is beautiful. This is great. This is wonderful. And a whole lot hangs on this. And for that very reason, I'm going to put a real, clear, unambiguous, solid wall around this thing. So they can screw up in a lot of ways. But this one you can't screw up on. So don't let there be a hint of porneia. Don't let anything like defilement get in the way here. On this one, the Lord says, if you're going to err, err way over here on the right. Don't start screwing around with this one because it's going to mess you up, mess society up, and the devil's going to have a heyday with you. Stay clear of it. Stay clear of it. On this one, too much is at stake. The Bible has this implication. With it. When we get involved in premarital sex, it is pornea by biblical standards, and while that feels loving, and I'm sure there's loving dimensions to it, I'm not going to say the whole thing is absolutely satanic, but on the other hand, what we're doing is not essentially a loving act. It is not loving. Because you're not helping the other person. In terms of their relationship with God, you're defiling them. And if love means sacrifice, it means laying down your life for another person, it means going ahead and suffering, even being frustrated, if that's what's good for the other person. If you had some disease that you could pass on to them and it would really, really hurt them, you'd know that it wouldn't be a loving act to go to bed with them. So also with this, you're not helping them, but if the thing that matters most, you're actually hurting them. You're also hurting yourself, but forget about that. Maybe you don't care about you, but what about the other person? Love says, whatever's good for you, whatever will help you, whatever's going to encourage you, whatever will get you closer to God, that's what I will do. And anything that doesn't do that is in one way or another, to some degree, selfish. It's the opposite of God's love. It's the opposite of God's love. The biblical principle is this. Jesus died on the cross. He sacrificed his life, and then he got his bride. His sacrifice is what won us, the church, to be his bride. And he loves us, and we love him. And the union there, the Bible portrays it as the kind of ecstasy. In Ephesians 5, we'll get to it later on. That's a, sexual intercourse kind of comes close to that. The sacrifice comes first, and so it is in, in our relationships. The sacrifice has got to come first. And for us, the sacrifice is saying... For better or for worse, my whole life is yours. That's sacrifice. That's laying down your life. That's submitting yourself. And that is godly. That is love. That is healthy. Life is to be found there. And the sexual union that comes after that is a beautiful and wonderful thing. Now, there's two, uh, two, two other things that Paul mentions here. We're going to talk about those next week. One is greed. 
that I think is very often misunderstood. We need to look at it closely. Another one that we really got to talk about is when he says, don't let there be any uh, uh, coarse humor and silly talk. How is that unloving? We got to talk about that one because I, I tend to be coarse and silly. So I, I got to find a loophole before next week. No, I'm kidding. But, and then what does it mean to walk in the light? What does it mean to walk in the light? Uh, but I want to close by just saying this. Here's what I feel on my heart. First of all, I feel like I love you guys. I really love... I, 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 can I tell you this? This is just... I don't want to get sappy and flowery and whatever, but uh, I love preaching to you guys. I just love this. And when I hear about a difference it makes and God using it, that's, that's to me the biggest turn on in the world. I, I, just, I just love this. I, it's a, I feel like I am the luckiest guy in the world every time I get a chance to stand up and preach to you guys. I love it. So thanks for being there. Okay, uh, thanks. I, that, just, I, that just came out of me. I feel so gushy. <laughs> Two final things. If you're here this morning, some of you are here this morning, and you have been the giver in a give-take relationship. And you've been involved in a relationship that was not love, but it was called love, and they sucked you dry, they chewed you up. Maybe they spit you out. Maybe it was a spouse. Maybe it was uh, an establishment. Maybe it was a pastor in a church. And what I want you to know is that God, God can make you real again. You may be even scared. You're worried on the inside that uh, you can't afford to be real again. You can't afford to love because it hurts too much. The Lord wants you to know that there's healing for you. His love makes you whole. However diabolic the abuse was, His love makes you whole. Just see his eyes loving you unconditionally, no questions asked. And his arms around you loving you unconditionally, no questions asked. Let him love you like that little boy loving the rabbit. And that will bring life back into you. There's no other way to get life other than Jesus Christ breathing it into you from the cross of Calvary, showing you how much he loves you. Others of us here this morning have been the perpetrators. We've been the takers. We've been the takers, and we need just to own up to that. We've hurt others. We've sucked life out of others. Maybe we knew it, maybe we didn't know it, but we have, we've been trying to get life from people instead of Jesus Christ. And the word the Lord would have us know and leave with is this. He's the only source of life, not your spouse, not your kid, not your friends. He's the only source of life. To Him alone can you go and get your innermost needs met. And there's forgiveness for the pain that you've caused others. Receive that this morning. You maybe after I'm done praying, want to come up here and there'll be people up here who would just love to pray with you either for the wound that you have or the wound that you've done and get it taken care of here this morning. Let's stand and pray. Father, you are love. You are love. You are pure love, undiluted love, passionate love, undying love. Your love is joy. Your love is fulfillment. Your love is peace. And everything else, Lord, is at best a distraction. God, focuses, focus us on your love. Fill us, Lord God, with your love. And I pray, Lord, that as we go out of here, we'd go out with the full awareness, not just the intellectual knowledge, but the heart awareness that you love us with an everlasting love. And let that love flow through us, that we could see the reds as being as red as they really are and breathe the air and live passionately, Lord, as you've intended us to, to live passionately, Lord. And for those who are wounded here this morning, I pray, God, that you'd be, be healing for them. Lord, I, I pray for an anointing up here at the altar as people come forward for prayer. God, hover over this place and minister to your pe- people whom you love with an everlasting love in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. Love you.